Welcome to the latest episode of Full Comment. I'm Anthony Fury. Our guest today is John Iveson, National Post postmedia political columnist. What do you need to know about this election? About the parties and their platforms? Will Trudeau squeak in a victory? Or is Aaron O'Toole going to pull it off? Oh, and why are we having this election now anyway? There's no one better to tackle these questions than John Iveson, who joins us now. Hey, John, thanks for stopping by. Hi, Anthony. Great to have you. It's, it's been an interesting election so far. I know a lot of Canadians more and more tuning in now, you know, after Labor Day and so forth. And to go back to that original question, I guess, I mean, why was this election called? Justin Trudeau clearly thought, I'm going to get a majority. Right. I mean, that's that's the essence of it. And um, it has backfired spectacularly because three weeks in, uh, it is still an issue. I don't think people ever want to have an election, but they certainly didn't feel this time around that it was justified. I think most people felt that the minority parliament was working okay, that it could have continued. I mean, there was no threat to the uh, to the, the government's longevity. Um, the NDP were pretty much on side with everything that Justin Trudeau proposed. So this thing could have run and run, but, um, but Trudeau looked at the polls, thought that he could... Uh, eke out a majority, uh, a majority while people weren't looking. I mean, we had uh, the majority of the campaign is going to turn out to have been before Labor Day. Most people weren't really paying much attention. So, um, you know, it was pretty much one guy, and I think it was one guy because I don't think there were many people in the Liberal camp who were supportive, but it was one guy putting his own vaulting ambitions ahead of the country's interests. And I think that uh, with the other things that conspired to happen, like the the fall of Kabul on the day that uh, Trudeau called the election, Canadians just were not impressed. So do you think other MPs, uh, cabinet ministers and so forth, that they were actually a little lukewarm about this? Like this was not a, you know, go team, rah, rah enthusiasm. Some people were like, I don't even really know if I want to do this right now. Well, it's never, you know, it's while we live in a democracy, these decisions are not democratic. And usually it is a small cabal of people around uh, Prime Minister who hammer these things out, the pros and cons, there was a sizable number of people who did not feel it was a good idea to do this, that it would be too transparent and that uh, the public might uh, take it out on the on the Liberal Party as a result. They pr- they've been proven correct, and I think Trudeau's been proven wrong. That's one of the big surprises for sure, just that things are, are not going the way Justin Trudeau wanted them to. Perhaps one of the other surprises for, for folks who really only check in at politics during election time, you go back to 2015 and you go, here's the sunny ways guy. It's it's all power of positivity, lots of smiles, fresh young face and so forth. And then we move forward six years later and, well, I'll read the headline of one of your latest columns, John. Trudeau drops the sunny ways, heads into dangerous territory. This has been an election that has been uh, kind of a nasty one, and most of those sort of more negative notes, they haven't been sounded by the Conservatives or by the NDP, but, I mean, as you know, really by Trudeau. Yeah, well, I think it was an act of desperation because the, I think prior to them bringing up the gun control issue, nothing was really working for the Liberals. You know, when they kept hammering uh, Erin O'Toole on health care, on abortion, on any a number of other things that normally work, and yet this time... The public just kind of shrugged and and uh, you know as i said that some of these attacks are less credible when the target is, has more credibility than the person issuing the the uh the attack ads so i think though they really didn't have much choice because things were, were were heading into free fall for the liberals 
the time for change number, which is always a good indicator of how fed up people are with the with the incumbent government, had started rising, and it looked like it might keep rising. And I think they needed to do something pretty dramatic to check it. And and as we saw uh, on the last weekend, they threw everything but the kitchen sink at Aaron O'Toole uh, in the hope that uh, that some of the, the, the liberal NDP switchers might decide, well, we better stick with the liberals because we might end up with this guy in IE O'Toole. And so that seems to have arrested the... the the rise of the time for change number it seems to have arrested the the uh, the conservative party's rise and the liberals are have eked up for the first time in this election but i i do think uh, you know as that column you just quoted st- starts out what's justin trudeau going to do for an encore because normally this type of stuff is left to the final week when the the liberals try and scare progressives back into their columns and away from the ndp and I, i've just finished talking to the ndp and they've got a, a full strategy to make sure this doesn't happen. I mean, it clearly happened in 2004. I remember it well that the uh, the Conservative campaign ran out of steam and the NDP support was scared back into the to the arms of the Liberals. It didn't work for the Liberals in 26, uh, 2006. It kind of worked in 2019, although the Conservatives were never really, a, I don't think, a threat for government. But uh, but it's clear that this time, the, the prospect of a Conservative government is being used as, uh, as I call it project fear by the by the liberals and I'm not sure it's going to work this time I think that he's used most of his bullets too early in the campaign yeah let's unpack a bit of that fear-mongering there because you talked about the abortion issue and they were trying to basically float that really perennial idea that we've been hearing for many years now you know you bring in a conservative government they're going to restrict abortion rights or what have you much more of a conversation that's kind of pulled from from u.s political talking points and then aaron o'toole just kind of shrugged and said well i'm pro-choice and they don't have that secret video of him you know talking to some church group saying he's going to do this and that and the other and so forth and i feel like the more the years pass by it's just harder for them to bring out those sort of attacks oh you're all a bunch of secret homophobes or uh, you know, anti-abortion and all that kind of stuff. I, I mean, it, it does seem like this is getting more and more difficult. Is Aaron O'Toole, even though, you know, he's a traditional, you know, white guy, gray hair, so forth, wearing the suit and so forth, is he, in some sense, a new generation for the conservatives where you just can't pull that stuff anymore? Well, he he does make the point as a new leader with a new approach. And, you know, quite frankly, it is. I mean, this is a, a, a very liberal light platform to... Uh, I think right. O'Toole, it's in O'Toole's image, and I think O'Toole, he might not admit it, but I think he's a traditional red Tory, and this is um, a platform that is much more appealing to potential liberal conservative switchers than Andrew Shear's platform. Uh, on healthcare, he inoculated himself because he's promised to spend $60 billion over 10 years in increased health transfers to the provinces. On abortion, as you point out, he's, he's somewhat inoculated himself um, by proclaiming himself pro-choice but the liberals are are, are, are pretty canny in this regard um on healthcare, they got a tool talking about uh, experimentation and innovation within a universal access system um but it allowed them to talk about private pro- for profit healthcare. Right. on abortion they talk now about uh O'Toole allowing mps to push their own anti-abortion legislation and um, they, even though that uh, O'Toole has talked about a price on carbon, they're still talking about uh, the, the Conservatives taking the, the 
the country back to a time of denial and inaction on climate change. And in their attack ad, they then stick up a big picture of Steve, Stephen Harper, the scary man. So this is uh, this is all stuff which um, has worked for them before. It's a variation on a theme. It's, you know, as I point out, though, that there is there are drawbacks for the Liberals and having done it before. People do get tired of hearing these things. And then, you know, if you cry wolf far too many times. The other thing, you know, Trudeau was out this week talking about O'Toole as a, a weak, uh, wishy-washy leader. We just did some polling with Leger about uh, weak leadership. And Trudeau is seen as a weak leader by twice as many people as O'Toole. Mm. And about, about the same proportion to Jagmeet Singh. So that's that's when I talk about dangerous terrain, that's one, one of the areas of dangerous terrain he's wandering into by, by making accusations about other leaders that people think about him. I mean, he said after O'Toole uh, changed his position on the semi-automatic weapons, uh, Trudeau said, this guy will say anything to get elected. <laughs> and yet anybody with a memory longer than five minutes will remember that just this is the guy who promised electoral reform, balanced budgets after two deficits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It certainly seemed like what Justin Trudeau also wanted to do was to to create quite a culture war, a wedge issue over vaccine passports, vaccinated, non-vaccinated, looked at the polling numbers, felt this was uh, good for him. He kind of did that calculus, uh, thought maybe we can get Aaron O'Toole to say, all right, I'm more siding with the unvaccinated. Uh, but, you know, I, I can't help but think a lot of people aren't too into that. Yes, the polling shows there's lots of support for that. Uh, there's a lot of people, though, you know, myself included, I go, okay, I got the vaccine, but I'm not crazy about this whole vilification of others kind of thing. I mean, is this a good idea? Are the numbers showing, John, that people really are gravitating to that as a main election issue? No, I think that um, the politicization has been uh, pretty despicable on Trudeau's part, and I, and I think that it will rebound on him too. I think the only thing that worked for him was getting stones thrown at him and, and you know, this uh, sense of intimidation and violence that comes from the, the anti-vax protesters. I mean, you know, I stood in front of them in Nobleton and Bolton and it was not pleasant. And I think most Canadians looked at that and went, we want nothing to do with that. Um, you know, I talked to Liberal MPs who were saying they're hearing that on the doorstep, that, uh, that the, the protests are working for Trudeau, which is probably why he's still exposing himself to them hmm. because anybody who's run a campaign will tell you you don't need to be there you could you can make sure your tour is inoculated against protests which harper always did right. and these guys could do too if they wanted to um but it kind of works for him because it shows the contrast between him and uh o'toole i'm not so sure i mean o'toole has been has has been very um pragmatic on this and saying look it shouldn't be us, us versus them i'm vaccinated i want to get vaccinations levels up to 90 percent in this country um, but if for whatever reason you don't want to get vaccinated you then have to do rapid testing and prove that you're that you're um, you're not positive for covid um you know there are many many people who do not like being told what to do by the government um or who have religious problems with vaccinations or uh, medical problems or whatever. And yet they are all vilified as one by Trudeau as right. part of this anti-vax mob. And as I found out when I started phoning some of these people, there are many and varied reasons why they're angry at Justin Trudeau. And um, a lot of it has got to do with this sense that uh, 
government should not be delegitimizing its its uh, citizens in the way that he has has done over the last little while. No, certainly. Uh, when you mentioned the NDP earlier, and they have a strategy to sort of make sure that 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 they have enough, uh, you know, gas in the tank to keep going until the end, and so on. How should we think of the NDP right now under Jagmeet Singh? Because back in the '90s and, and predating that, the NDP was kind of happy to just be the third place party, and and I guess they called themselves the social conscious of, of Parliament or what have you, and they'd approve or or, or not approve uh, things in a minority government situation or push for things in committee, and they were like, "That's what we do." And then Jack Layton came along and said, no, we try to win elections very aggressively. Tom Mulcair, he took that ball and ran with it. And there were polling moments when it seemed like both of those gentlemen maybe could have become uh, prime minister. Is Jagmeet Singh carrying that along? Is the NDP, and I know the numbers aren't great right now, are they a contender or are they back to just being perpetual third place? No, no, they're, they, are, uh, they are genuine contenders, or at least maybe not for government. But, you know, we've seen in the last uh, couple of years that, that the NDP have got a, a role to play in minority governments. They They've pushed the Liberals to, to go further than they would have done in, on any number of occasions. Um, you know, I think there is a real danger for them getting too close to the Liberal Party right. and getting, getting the blame and none of the credit. And we saw that with the NDP in the in the 70s when when they were decimated. They got reduced to half their caucus after the 74 election. Well, hold on, though. Is, is it that the NDP is getting too close to the Liberals or is Justin Trudeau's Liberal Party getting too close to the NDP? Well, <laughs> you could barely get a credit card between them, to be honest. Right. But, but, but it's a factor of both things, the NDP becoming more pragmatic and, and the Liberals becoming more progressive. Um, but this time, they're in reasonable shape. You know, I mean, they were they were rising. I think they've started plateauing now as they as the as Project Fear takes takes hold. But, they, you know, they're they're plateauing at 20 percent, which when you think that they were at 16 percent in 2019 and they won 24 MPs, I think, you know, if they come in north of 20, then they're probably doubling their caucus and potentially denying the Liberals government because, um, you know, at 20 percent, you are eating into to a lot of Liberal seats. So, I mean, these splits are very hard to predict, but um, but it's clear what happened last time that they were in the week before the debate last time, they were they were averaging about 15 percent in the polls in the week after the debate. They were averaging somewhere around 19 percent in the polls. Because Jagmeet had a very good debate, if you remember, back in 2019. They didn't have any money. They ran out of money and they ran out of gas and they could not support, with good outcomes, the, the good performance. That is not going to happen this time. They've got enough money and, the, and part of their strategy is to save most of that money until after the debate, where after they expect a good performance from their leader, they can then promote that. And they're spending a lot of time on getting out the vote and various other ways to make sure that the 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 perennial scare the dippers campaign, the project fear, does not work this time around. What do you make, John, of the two other parties, Green Party of Canada, first one in many elections without Elizabeth May at the helm, now Annamie Paul, and People's Party of Canada, Maxime Bernier, as leader, doesn't have his one seat like he had last time, not in the debates like last time, also Annamie Paul uh, not involved in all of the debates either. They're both kind of polling, I think, just under 5%. They're kind of, you know, at this at this low level there. Are they Are they having an impact, either of these parties? Well, the Greens are only running 252 candidates. So that, right. that, that means you've got 86 vacancies where there is no Green candidate. Um, you know, there's been analysis done on whether uh, that in those seats, I think there was 12 of the 86 
where the green vote share was larger than the mar margin of victory by the Conservatives or Liberals. Mm. So, um, you know, you can argue that at the, at the very margins that that might make a difference in, in a dozen seats. It's strange the way the green vote goes, though. It doesn't splinter, as you might expect, straight to the NDP or even to the Liberals. It goes all over the place. It goes to the Conservatives. In fact, sometimes I've been hearing about Greens going to the PPC because they're both huh. anti-establishment parties. So I don't suspect we're going to see... I think we're going to see a very much reduced green vote and um, that might have an impact on the number of seats it elects. So they, you know, they were at three, one defected. I think they might lose in Nanaimo. We, we were we were in Nanaimo with uh, Erno O'Toole. They think they can win that seat. That's Paul Manley's seat. I would think Elizabeth May will come back. But as far as the, uh, the splits, um, it doesn't look like it's going to have a huge impact either way. The Conservatives tell me that the People's Party is not having a, a big influence on its vote. I find that hard to believe. I mean, I think that um, that they are going to come in and surprise people with the, the size of their vote. I mean, some of the some of the pollsters are starting to show them up around eight nine percent. When they're at eight or nine percent, they've got to be impacting uh, the conservative vote. I think they are getting votes from people who who are nonpartisans who or who hadn't voted. But uh, but I think that they're going to be. Uh, a factor in this election and even even if their vote doesn't increase greatly it still impacts the conservatives because you know for example i was in miramichi with the liberals the liberals won miramichi in new brunswick by about 300 votes the ppc got 1500 votes that was in 2019 you know without that 1500 to the ppc it's almost certain that the conservatives would have held a seat that they've they held for many years one thing I find remarkable is that Maxime Bernier is really the only party leader who's been critical of lockdowns and, and, and much of the sort of standard approach to tackling the pandemic. And it's just curious, whatever you think of these issues, that this has been really some of the most momentous changes in our lives in, in obviously in many decades. And yet the main parties preceding this election and, in, in, you know, sitting in the House of Commons and so forth, most of them, their main quibbles were just uh, questions of process. You know, how many vaccines you're procuring, when you're getting them and so forth, when you're closing the airports. But it wasn't uh, sort of a, a more wholesale debate about, well, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Maybe we shouldn't support it. And for that percentage of people who, who view things that way, however small they are, and they, they are in the minority, the majority of people have supported a lot of what's happened. It seems like Bernier is the only guy who's really representing that perspective. Well, I think Max will say whatever he's required to say to get people to vote for him. I mean, he tw tweeted something out yesterday about, no, it was a speech. I actually saw him give a speech where he talked about revolution. I mean, I remember Maxime Bernier when, when he was in the Conservative Party. He was a free marketer. He was a libertarian. He wasn't a revolutionary. So, you know, I think um, he saw which way the wind was blowing. I, not that I doubt his sincerity in opposing um, lockdowns. I mean, that fits in with his with his prior political history. But um, but I think you know the, the 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 case for doing things that governments all over this country have done regardless of their shade, the medical case, in my opinion, was justified. So, you know, I'm, it doesn't surprise me that there was a minority of people who don't agree with that. You know, if you're seeing your business decimated or your job gone or whatever, of course, you're going to be angry about that. But um, but I think that Max is something of an opportunist in, in seeing the political gap there. 
Okay, maybe it's not fair to say Justin Trudeau uh, wanted to make himself out to be a revolutionary when he became prime minister, but he certainly wanted to make himself out to be someone very different. The old classic saw about, I will do politics differently, uh, obviously the Sunny Way slogan, a number of other slogans that he put out there. John, are people just just tiring of him now after six years of him making rather grandiose promises about about to, to so many different individuals, different groups, and so forth, and just not not fulfilling them? I mean, is he is he wearing almost more than six years of baggage right now? Yeah, I think that uh, you know all governments uh, overstay their welcome, and usually you know you can usually say it's around about ten years, but this guy seems to have done it in six, and um, you know maybe because of the intense nature of the the pandemic and the fact that he was in everybody's faces every day he just got overexposed and that maybe just truncated the, uh, the the timeline down but i do think you hit you hit the nail on the head there when you say if you keep saying these things and then they don't happen then when you keep when you say them again in another election and there you know there's an incremental development in whatever the promise was in the first place then people stop believing and I think people have just stopped believing. Um, you know, I, we, I was on the road with him for a week and every single commitment that was made in that week was a variation on the theme that he'd already embarked upon, which is, you know, not surprising given the fact that um, when you've been in government six years and gone through two elections, you're continuing on the same road rather than branching off in a completely different one. But... None of them had any impact. I mean, I don't think anybody could re remember what Trudeau talked about in the first week of this campaign, right. um, other than being asked questions about Afghanistan. I mean, it just was an, a total non-event because people have just discounted these suggestions. And, you know, one of the NDP tactics, for example, going to be in the final week of the campaign, is there is a cost to voting Liberal, hmm. which is new was new on me. I hadn't heard them say this, but, you know, the, the, the Liberals are always saying, well, there's a cost to voting NDP, you right, get a right. conservative government. Well, these guys are now going to turn around and say there's a cost of voting liberal. He'll promise these things and then not deliver on them. So if you want pharmacare or uh, action on climate change or whatever it might be, then vote NDP. I, I think that's a smart tactic because I do think that, that there is a, a sense in the electorate that Trudeau is, is just not to be believed. Are there a lot of progressives who are still upset about the, not reforming the electoral system? I mean, I never supported that pledge that Trudeau made. I didn't feel like, you know, you don't need to fix something that's not broken, but that's been a thing that progressives, I mean, Jack Layton was going on about it for many years. Many NDPers said, we got to change the electoral system, thought Trudeau would bring it. And maybe that's why he swung a lot of votes originally. And now that was obviously a promise just totally shelved. Yeah, I mean, I never supported it either, but I do think that for those who did, it was their one of their main reasons for right. voting for the Liberal Party. And whether they still uh, bang on about it when they or think about it when they go to the polls, who knows? But it certainly was a major disappointment. And I think if 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 the the principal reason you voted for a political party, uh, the, that party doesn't follow through on that promise, then you're going to be jaundiced about that party going forward. And I think that that is very much where the, the NDP are coming from when they're, um, when they're aiming at people who might switch between the Liberals and the NDP. You know, tapping into that feeling of disappointment and disillusionment. John, have any of the issues that have been debated during the election campaign or been put forward as major platform planks, have they surprised you in terms of, 
you know, why is this the big issue we're talking about here? I always wish foreign affairs was discussed more as, as one of uh, the issues that is the sole domain of the federal government. You talk about housing, you talk about, uh, you know, climate, COVID-19 or what have you. Those are also provincial issues, municipal issues. Foreign affairs, only a federal issue. I feel it never gets uh, the airtime it deserves. Then again, other folks want to see a whole bunch of other issues discussed that are not addressed. Where do we stand in terms of what sort of terrain's actually been covered that matters to people? Well, I mean, I think this is perennial in, in elections. Foreign affairs, defense rarely come up in elections. Right. Um, you know, gun the gun control thing. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a pretty marginal. I mean, I guess it becomes a cultural issue, but but um, you know, we spent days and days on on gun classifications, right? <laughs> um, which. Do people really care about all of that? You know, and, well, and, I, and do people have they now basically internalized that that conservative response that look most of the guns causing trouble? They're coming across the border. They're already illegal guns anyway. I mean, that's that's kind of an established fact now, right? I mean, and I think that um, O'Toole tried to hammer home the fact that that uh, violent gun crime in this country has shot up over the last uh, six years, right. up twenty percent, and and uh, you know, virtually none of those crimes were committed with the guns that we were talking about. So, yeah, I mean, we do get bogged down on on issues that are, you know, in the grand scheme of things, rather marginal. But I guess what it came down to is that people in cities don't like guns of any nature, and it made it look like the Conservative Party was in favour of uh, these semi-automatic weapons, which, you know... Uh, it, I, I'm not quite sure why it became such a, a huge issue, um, but you know, the places that we're fighting for votes, or that those parties are fighting for votes, the downtowns of big cities just don't like guns, and they lump them all in together. They have no discernment between various types of guns. Well, well, to circle back to one of the things that we started our conversation with here, then. The why are we having this election from the from the question mark, from the ballot box question? I appreciate that Justin Trudeau, uh, very soon, the day or two after the election was called, he said, well, you know what, now we're talking post-pandemic, what direction we should head in, and, and you know, I want to sort of ratify uh, the voters' support for all that. I thought that was remarkably honest. At the same time, I don't really know that we're actually having that conversation. So even though there have been such momentous things, when whether we're talking about people frustrated with the relationship with China going on right now, or, or you know, oil and gas sector, major issues being decimated, that's not being discussed at all. Uh, talking about post-pandemic issues, momentous changes to our lives, I feel like, well, that's not actually, you know, the lead thrust in Perry right now. I mean, John, has this bizarrely been, despite everything that's in, in the headlines, has this kind of been an election about nothing? Well, it has a bit. I mean, you, you make a very good point there. Probably a good column for you, Anthony. But, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, the, um, you know, the, the, when he called the election, he called it the most important since 1945. Hmm. And yet, um, you're right. I mean, you know, even climate change, uh, pandemic recovery. To give O'Toole his due, that's what his, he's been laser focused on this plan that he waved around at every single press conference and talks about Canada's recovery. I think it's been a very disciplined campaign by the Conservatives. Um, so they have been talking about the things that they want to talk about. And Trudeau less so, you know. I mean, Trudeau is talking by and large about why not to vote, a vote in a Conservative government. And it's been a really disappointing campaign from him, I think. I think that even if he gets re-elected, 
even liberals would would look at that and go, you know, this is the guy of sunny ways. This is the guy of the hopeful narrative. He calls an election. It's meant to be the most important since 1945. It's meant to be about where's Canada going in the next few years. And yet it's been the only memorable moments of it have been about the negative side of it and, and uh, why you shouldn't vote for the Conservative Party. So um, it may well be that voters look at that, that and go, well, that's that's what most failing campaigns do. That's what, what that's what the Conservative campaign sounded and looked like in 2015 when they had the uh, barbaric practices uh, hotline. I mean, that's the type of right. desperation you get reduced to when you when you feel everything slipping away. And that's kind of what it feels like to me. So, John, I, I hate to ask you this question. I know no columnist likes to be asked this on, on any panel, on any radio, radio program. Who's going to pull it off? Who do you see at, at this point in? Who's going to win here? I mean, Justin Trudeau, it's been remarked, 1972, Pierre Elliott Trudeau gets a minority. Oh, he's going to be gone forever. Uh-uh, he got a majority, and it was just the beginning of the Trudeau show. Then again, well, no, looks like Trudeau could be on the way out, and Aaron O'Toole for, well, we shall see. It's at this stage, it's really is too close to call. But, uh, you know, so Erno Tool needs to be well ahead in the popular vote. You know, three, four, five points ahead doesn't guarantee him right. the most number of, of MPs. Because so, Andrew Scheer won well, the popular vote in 2019. Right. So you see the, the polls at the moment have the Conservatives ahead. That does not mean they're winning the election. So um, that really works against the Conservatives. They need to get some some clear blue water between them and the, and the Liberals. And we don't see that at the moment. I think it comes down to whether Project Fear works. Does Do these progressive voters pay heed to these uh, liberal attack ads and say, well, if, I'd like to vote NDP, but I can't because if I do, O'Toole wins. We don't want a conservative government. If the NDP strategy to retain, to, to boost its vote, after a, a good performance by Jagmeet Singh in the debates, if they can retain that vote, they didn't last time, it slipped back away to the Liberals, but if they can retain that vote, then I think that a strong NDP showing gives O'Toole a real chance. Will Project Fear work? Wow. John Iverson, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate your insights. Thank you. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.